Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 13. If David had harbored any remaining doubts about the existence of vampires, they were squashed when Kyle Corot appeared in the street with the speed of a cold wind. The vampire wore fewer garments than he had been wearing when David had seen him earlier in the day. He was clad in a long-sleeved black shirt, black pants, black boots. The sunglasses, gloves, jacket, and hat were gone. A drooling hound stood guard behind Kyle. David saw a Doberman on the other side of the road, blocking Naya's path. Kyle looked at Naya. Seeming to dismiss her, he faced David. David noticed that Kyle held a book. It was the Bible, which David had lost when running out of the woods. Shit, David thought. What does this guy want from me? Behind David, King snapped relentlessly. David wished the dog were at his side, though King might not be able to protect him against the two monster hounds and the vampire. Standing on the crutches with no weapon whatsoever, he was defenseless and vulnerable. A large black bird swooped out of the night sky and landed on the Pathfinder's roof. David thought nothing of the bird, but Kyle glared at the creature, then turned to David. You must explain how you came to possess this, Kyle said. He tapped the cover of the Bible. Why do you need to know, David said. The dogs growled. The Doberman moved to flank Kyle. Do not waste my time with needless debating, Kyle shouted. Do you know the man who took my father away from me? Are you his descendant? Speak, human, or I will tear the words out of your throat. David's hands were clammy on the handles of the crutches. In the corner of his eye, he glimpsed the front door of the house. There was no way he could make it inside before the vampire or the dogs caught him. Answering the creature's questions was an almost equally dangerous course. The puzzle pieces were shifting into place. Someone in David's family, he'd have to contemplate the family tree to discover who, had been responsible for imprisoning Diallo, the head vampire, in the cave, just as the drawings in the Bible depicted. Kyle blamed David's ancestor, and, by extension, him, for doing so. David cannot tell him the truth and telling a lie would not help either. You will reveal the truth, 
Kyle began to march forward, and his dogs kept pace with him. Or else, my hounds will rend you to pieces. David retreated, hands shaky on the crutches, praying that he did not stumble. King was in a frenzy of barking. Atop the pathfinder, the bird squawked, ruffled his dark wings. It was not a crow, as David at first thought. It was a raven. Ravens were bigger than crows. Hadn't he seen one just like this a few days ago, when he'd visited his father's cabin? Kyle glared at the raven. You will not stop me. Not anymore. David stopped in his clumsy retreat, confused. The raven and the vampire were locked in a staring match. What is going on? David thought. You will not stop me, Kyle said. He waved his hand. The hounds launched forward. Jesus, I can't get away from them. They'll pull me down before I get anywhere near the door. He turned to flee. One of the crutches slipped out of his grasp and clattered against the ground. Robbed of his balance, he fell and slammed against the grass. Through his haze of pain, he saw a dark mass wheeling in the sky. Birds? The dogs, maybe only a dozen feet away from David, squealed. Their ears flattened against their heads. The winged creatures screeched. No, not birds. Bats. The bats swarmed to the ground in a black funnel, leathery wings battering the air. David covered his head, but they did not attack him. The bats attached themselves to the dogs and enveloped Kyle too. The vampire shielded his head with his arms and shouted curses. Wailing, the dogs fled. Kyle zigzagged blindly across the yard, trying to shake off the horde of bats, flailing his hands in an attempt to knock them away. He finally broke away from them and vanished down the street in a black blur. As suddenly as it had arrived, the swarm spiraled into the sky and out of sight. Breathing hard, David looked at the raven perched atop his truck. It watched him for several heartbeats. Then it flew away into the night. Naya ran across the street and helped David stand. Oh my God, she said. Are you okay? I'm alright. A little shaken up, he said. But I think my mind is blown. King was still barking, though less vehemently. Can you please let him out, he said. He's going nuts in there. Naya opened the door. King bounded outside and leapt onto David so enthusiastically that David almost fell down. Easy, boy. He stroked the dog's head. I'm okay. We have to talk about what happened, Naya said. That was unbelievable. Yeah, and it gives us a bunch more questions, too. David reached down to rub King's neck, but the dog wandered away from David's side and rolled across the grass, sniffing. Don't run off, King, David said. The dog poked his snout into the grass and retrieved an object. Holding it between his teeth, he brought it to David. It was the Bible. In the house, David and Naya locked every door. They shut and locked every window, too. If a vampire or a canine minion was going to get them, it would have to break in, David thought. He was rattled by the vampire's thwarted assault 
but he was determined to hold up. They had too much work ahead of them for him to lose his nerve. They kept Franklin's gun on the dinette table. King sat near the kitchen doorway, his dark eyes unusually vigilant. After Nye brewed a pot of strong coffee, they sat at the table and pieced together their ideas about the vampires in Mason's Corner. I think William Hunter is the man who's in these drawings, David said. He had revisited the lineage of Hunter men traced on the inside cover of the Bible, then began to page through the illustrations. William lived through the early and mid-1800s, around the time the Diallo apparently attacked a plantation that William lived on. He put his finger on the drawing that showed William and some other men battling a horde of savages, vampires, presumably, on the plantation. Yes. Nia cupped her coffee mug, as if for warmth. David flipped to another page. But William and a few of these guys somehow escaped, met up with some Indians, and tracked the vampires to the cave, where they were probably asleep during the day. The vampires' monster dogs guarded the cave. The guys had to kill those suckers before they can get inside. And I bet it wasn't easy, Nia said. That might explain why the numbers of good guys dropped from seven to four. Three of them either didn't survive fighting the mutts or ran away, I guess. I think you're right. Then, inside the cave, our heroes attacked the vampires with guns, arrows, and fire, David said. It doesn't look like they stopped the big guy, Diallo. He still came after them. Until somebody probably set off some dynamite and brought down the walls, Naya said. Sealed up that joker in there. And that was the end of it, David said. But my ancestor, William, was never the same after that. He became this fearless freedom fighter. I remember hearing the stories about him roaming throughout the South, helping slaves escape to the North. Then, like Franklin told us, he had a hand in the insurrection at Edward Mason's plantation. Yep. Naya said, right alongside my relative and the ancestors of a good number of people who live in town today. David closed the Bible. He sipped the coffee, his stomach fluttering with excitement. Everything was beginning to fall into place. Now, he said, vampires are supposed to be immortal. Diallo scribbled a message on the wall about rising again to slay his enemies. Then he dug himself a grave and went to sleep. In the movies, vampires can sleep for a long time. For years, really. So Diallo slept until his son, Kyle, came to town and dug him up, Naya said. She suddenly put down her mug. Damn. I know why people have been disappearing. Why, he said. He sensed that he knew the reason, too. Diallo's been asleep for what? A hundred and fifty plus years, Naya said. He needs to be revitalized to have his strength restored. He's been drinking the blood of the people who have dropped out of sight. You've got to be right. Kyle is hunting people. Food for Diallo. Kyle and those demon dogs. I'm afraid to think about how many people he's taken. Naya lowered her head. I really doubt they're alive. Unfortunately... You're probably right, but I'm willing to bet that Kyle took the victims to the Mason place. Diallo has to be there. Where else? She laughed bitterly. But as bad as things have been, we haven't seen the worst of this yet. When Diallo is healthy and starts walking around, 
All hell is going to break loose. I can feel it. Those drawings are like a warning of what we have ahead of us. True. David tapped his lip. But there's an X factor in the mix. The big black bird we saw outside, she said. The bats. Someone is protecting us. Kyle shouted at the raven, you can't stop me. Then the bats attacked him and the dogs. Someone wants to keep us alive. But who and why? I've got no idea. Whoever it is, they can't really be a bird, Naya said. You think? Naya, at this point, nothing would surprise me. Shoot, I wouldn't be surprised if King opened his mouth and started singing like James Brown. The dog turned in their direction. Ears perked. I'm grateful to whoever helped us, David said. But I'm afraid to trust that they'll bail us out again. We don't know this person's agenda. For all we know, they might only be keeping us from harm until Diallo finds us. He's going to be so pissed when he finds out who you are, Naya said. The descendant of the man who pinned him up in the cave. That scares me, David. David reached across the table and grasped her hands in his. It scares me too, he said. But we gotta stay strong, figure out how we can win this thing once and for all. My ancestor's legacy has fallen to me, Naya. But God knows, I have no idea what to do. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Let's call Chief Jackson for starters, she said. She went to the wall phone and punched in the number that was scrawled on the phone's console. Hello, this is Nia James. May I speak to Chief Jackson, please? He's not available. Can you page him? It's urgent. Nia shook her head sadly. She hung up. He's not around, she said, and he can't be reached. Then we'll try him first thing tomorrow morning. What do we do tonight, she asked. Stay inside, then go online and research vampires, I guess. And most important of all, stay alive. Diallo was in the basement watching television when Kyle returned. His father sat upright in bed, pillows plumped behind his back, viewing a history documentary. As part of Kyle's plan to aid Diallo's adjustment to modern life, he had provided an extensive library of films, books, and audio tapes for his father to study. By candlelight, Diallo would watch videos, read, and listen to cassettes from dusk until sunrise, breaking only to feed. Diallo pursued his studies with the same single-minded focus with which he fed on live prey. He learned rapidly, too. In little more than a week, he displayed a knowledge of contemporary society, politics, and culture that astonished Kyle. His father frequently engaged him in challenging, thought-provoking conversations. This will be one of the more challenging discussions, Kyle thought, as he went to the bed. Diallo lifted the remote control and muted the television volume. What happened, my son? In a low, halting voice, Kyle explained the debacle that occurred when he encountered the young man, David Hunter. Leisha is protecting this man, Diallo said. Do not be ashamed. There was nothing you could have done. Her power is too great. But why would she care about a human? She attacked me to protect a man. Diallo folded his hands behind his head. 
Kyle had expected his father to be enraged, but he appeared amused, pleased even. This incident proves our suspicions are true, my son. David Hunter is a direct descendant of the man who imprisoned me. Leisha is wise. She understands how the hand of destiny loves to repeat its moves. She knows that to fulfill her wishes, she should work with destiny, not against it. I don't understand. Your mother wants to destroy me, Diallo said in a flat voice. My existence is a threat to her. She worries, as she always has, that my acts of vengeance will call attention to our kind and risk shattering the safe shell of anonymity in which she lives. She cares only about self-preservation. But why keep this man safe? What makes him so valuable? Do you still not understand? It's the man's lineage that makes him so crucial to the success of her mission to rid the earth of me. Leisha believes that he'll respond to the call of duty, to attempt to destroy me, as his forefather attempted. Ordinary men can be driven to great courage when their family's legacy is at stake. I know, for I was once such a man myself. Kyle absorbed his father's words, reluctantly admitting that he was right. It was painful to think that mother could be so selfish in preserving her own safety. She had said that she loved both him and Diallo. But how could you love someone and then participate in bringing about their demise? It was mad. Leisha is a masterful strategist, Diallo said. But she is not omnipotent. My strength is building, and I will attain more power than she realizes. Enough to defeat her attempts to intervene with my destiny. Diallo's eyes burned. The candle flames in the chamber danced as if blown by a wind. Kyle clenched his hands in a fist. Tell me what to do, father, he said. In response, Diallo raised his hand. Across the basement, the storm doors flew open with a crash. Outdoors, the dogs had gathered around the doorway. A young woman stood in their midst. The same human Kyle had let escape the other night. But she was no longer an ordinary woman. She wore a ragged hospital gown stained with mud and blood. Stringy hair was matted against her face, and dried blood stained her chin. Her eyes were full of hunger, inhuman need. She is one of the Valdue, Diallo said softly, the first one we created. I summoned her to us. Her bare feet frosted with dirt. The woman floated down the stone steps and into the cellar. She approached Kyle. Kyle had seen a Valdue only once, decades ago and he marveled at his father's creation. I'm hungry, the woman said in a raspy voice. She watched Kyle expectantly. Kyle looked at his father, confused. She will obey you as she obeys me, Diallo said. Take her and the dogs. Invade the town and multiply our numbers. It's time to build our army. David and I had spent the rest of the evening in the office, surfing the internet for information about vampires, specifically how to kill them. The house was silent. The only noises were the hum of the air conditioner and the occasional snuffling of the wind at the windows. David had relaxed a little, but he kept the gun at his side. As they researched, he questioned the value of their findings. 
Every resource they found explained how vampires were destroyed. In fiction. They found nothing that described how a bonafide bloodsucker could be defeated. And why would they? No one really believed the monsters were real. There's nothing new here, he finally told Naya, after they had spent over two hours at the computer. She sat beside him near the desk, a notepad and pen in her lap. Protect yourself with a crucifix, garlic, and holy water, Naya said, running down her list. Drive a wooden stake into their hearts, chop off their heads, burn their bodies to ashes. Drag them into the sunlight. Sunlight doesn't kill them, David said. Kyle's been walking around during the day, though he covers his skin. Right, she said. He sure as hell didn't burst into flames the way the vampires in the movies do. She closed her notebook. You're right. There's nothing new. We might as well watch reruns of Buffy. It'll be more fun. I doubt religious symbols will hurt them either. David picked up the old Bible. Kyle was carrying this, remember? According to folklore, holding something like a Bible should have scorched his hands. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. So we're back to square one. Guns. Fire, too, I think. Fire would have to hurt them. I agree, she said. We have to talk to the chief first thing tomorrow morning. We need to get him on our side so we can let everyone in town know what's happening. Get people to be careful and protect themselves. Only hope he believes us. David yawned. His watch read 1230. He was wiped out. Someone's getting sleepy. Nia stretched her arms above her head. I could turn in myself. Are you staying here? I don't want you going outdoors and driving home tonight. I'm staying. I only need to call Mama to check on her. He propped himself up on the crutches and moved away from the computer to prepare for bed. Brushing his teeth while leaning on one leg was a challenge. Changing into boxer shorts and a t-shirt was another trying task. How am I going to do anything with a twisted ankle, he thought. I'm useless. Nia dressed in one of David's Atlanta Falcons t-shirts. The bottom of the shirt ending just above her knees. Mama's fine, she said. Princess is there to keep her company, so I think she'll be okay. She doesn't like me staying over here, though. Laying up with that no-good hunter boy, he said. If only she knew. I wouldn't dare tell her what's really happening yet. She'd commit me. They switched off the lights and slid underneath the bed sheets. King settled near the bed, a shadowy shape in the dark room. They held each other, and there was nothing sexual about their touching. Both of them needed the reassuring embrace and warmth of a companion's body. David tried to avoid dwelling on what tomorrow would bring, but he couldn't help it. Would they find Chief Jackson and win his support? What about Franklin? Would he really metamorphose into... He pushed the troubling thought out of his mind. He sank into sleep. He dreamed that he lay on the bed, on top of the sheets, alone. A whispery breeze stirred the curtains. The window was open. A large black bird was perched on the windowsill, watching him. A raven. The bird hopped off the ledge and fluttered to the floor. It strutted towards him, and suddenly transformed into a slim, tall, dark-skinned woman, exquisitely beautiful, dressed in a flowing midnight blue gown. 
Who are you? He said. The woman only smiled. She came to the bed. She placed her hands on his ankle. Her touch was warm. He did not want to do anything to disturb her comforting touch. A soft bluish glow came from her hands, the strange energy flowing like electric current into his limb. His ankle tingled. I don't know what she's doing to me, but it feels wonderful. If I had a dollar for every time I said that, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'd have five dollars. After several seconds, the woman removed her hands and stepped away from the bed. Get up and walk, David Hunter, she said. Her clear, resonant voice was like the call of a goddess. She smiled. She floated towards the window and metamorphosed into the raven. The bird leapt onto the window ledge, turned to look at him, and then soared into the night. Get up and walk. David snapped out of the dream with a start. Nia was asleep. King slumbered as well. Blackness filled the bedroom. The window was not open, as it had been in the dream. It was sealed shut, and the curtains were still. The glowing red digits on the bedside clock read 147. He sighed. He had never had such a vivid dream in his life. He remembered every detail of the woman, her beauty, her cool composure, her command. He wriggled his toes. He felt a faint tingling sensation in his ankle, but no pain. Heart pounding, he swung his legs to the side of the bed. The crutches leaned against the wall, but he did not reach for them. Not yet. Holding his breath, he slowly pushed himself off the mattress to a standing position. He felt no pain or weakness in his ankle. Slowly, cold sweat slicking his face, he walked across the room. His ankle supported him as it normally would. He had been healed. Half dizzy with wonder, he went to the window, peeled back the curtain. The raven stood on the branch of the maple tree near the house. The bird regarded him coolly. Like the woman from the dream. Who are you? he said. Why are you helping me? He would not have been surprised if the bird opened his mouth and spoke. But it said nothing. Thank you, he said. Whoever you are, thank you. The raven uttered a soft caw, spread its wings, and flew away into the night. It was two o'clock in the morning, and Jalil was still hanging with the crew. They were at his house, chilling on the porch, guzzling beer and nodding to a Jacktown song. There was something really cool about hanging out at his house, the big chief's crib, and drinking brews like they didn't give a damn who saw them. He didn't worry that his father would catch them. Dad had been gone all day. He had gone somewhere with that woman of his, and wasn't due back until the next morning. Dad gave him the woman's cell phone number, but said to call only if it was an emergency involving Jalil personally. The phone in the house had rung a million times with people asking where his dad had gone, and Jalil told them he didn't know, which was the truth. After the tenth such call, maybe, Jalil stopped answering the phone. He wasn't a secretary. Jalil had left the door open so they could nod to the hip-hop that throbbed from the stereo in the living room. T-Bone and Poke slumped in the lawn chairs, 
each of them clutching a can of beer, debating whether the movie they had watched in the den, a vampire flick with some ass-kicking action, had realistic black characters. Look, T-Bone said, raising his beer. Ain't no niggas gonna stay around the second it comes out the vampires is killing folks. That's why I say that movie was bullshit. Our black asses would have been out the door when the first dead body turned up. Polk was shaking his head. I hear you, T. But man, what if those motherfuckers had sucked your mama's blood? You still break? Hell yeah, T-Bone said. Shit, I'd take her stash of cash in her car and be out. You already got her car, Jalil said. Polk laughed. T-Bone cracked a grin. Kiss my ass, Jay. But for real, what would y'all do if some vampire motherfuckers were here? Polk said. He spread his hands, his puffy afro a dark nimbus. You know, we out here in the middle of nowhere, in this little sleepy-ass town, hardly no police. What would you do? I told you, man. I'd be out, T-Bone said. He burped. You think the white man would be sending the National Guard up in here? Hell nah. Ain't nothing but a bunch of niggas in this joint. Don't nobody give a shit about us. I'd be flying like a fucking bullet down 55. You fools can lay up in here and get killed. I'd leave too, Jalil said. Don't know where I'd go though. You wouldn't be going nowhere, Jay, Poke said. Your pops will have you right here with him battling Dracula. Pope performed an amazingly accurate impression of Jalil's father. Hold that bloodsucker down, son. Gotta find my stake. Where'd I put it? Must be back at the station. Keep him there. I'll be back in a sec. Don't mind his teeth, boy. They laughed. Then T-Bone farted, and they laughed harder, Poke and Jalil clearing off the porch to get away from the nasty smell. They stood around the yard. T-Bone came off the veranda and joined them. The warm night was utterly silent. The surrounding houses were dark, too. Sure is quiet out here, Jalil said. For real, Poke said. He swigged his beer. I don't hear no bugs or nothing. Please, T-Bone said. Y'all motherfuckers done watched that movie and got scared of every damn thing. He flicked his cigarette to the grass, stubbed it out with his foot, and patted his pocket. I gotta get me some more cools out the car. Be right back. T-Bone ambled to the curb where he parked the Oldsmobile. Jalil had the strangest feeling, a pre-sentiment of dread. It tightened his stomach as if his guts were wrapped in wire. The booming of his heartbeat might have been the only noise in a still night. The music on in the living room stereo seemed to be far away. Hurry up, man, Jalil said. T-Bone opened the passenger door and was sitting on the seat, digging around inside the car. Pope must have felt something, too. He slowly retreated to the porch. Stop acting like a bitch, T-Bone said. He got out of the Oldsmobile, a pack of cigarettes in his hand. Leaning lazily against the car, he slid out a cool, lit it. Get back to the crib, man, Pope said, nearly shouting. He stood at the door, his eyes wide and scared. Both y'all tripping, T-Bone said. He casually took a draw on the cigarette. If you're going to act like this every time you see a horror flick, you need to just leave that shit alone. Just get back up here, Jalil said. Something doesn't feel right to me, and Poke feels it too. I don't feel shit out of the ordinary, but whatever, T-Bone said. 
He pushed away from the car, began to shuffle towards the house. Hurry up, Jalil wanted to scream at him. T-Bone walked slowly, pants sagging, cigarette dangling from his lips. A black Labrador exploded out of the bushes at the edge of the yard. Quick as a panther, it leapt on a T-Bone and knocked him to the ground. T-Bone screamed, flailed his arms and legs. The dog was on top of him, snarling, flashing teeth tearing into his shoulder. Jalil ran forward a few steps, stopped, ran forward, and then stopped for good when another vicious dog ran around T-Bone's car. It was a muscular Rottweiler with red eyes, drooling lips, and teeth like glass shards. But the woman was the most frightening of all. When the Rottweiler came, she sprang out of the boughs of the elm tree next door, landing on the ground with the agility of a wildcat. She wore a dirty hospital gown, and her face was filthy. But Jalil knew her. Her name was Shanice, and she had won the town beauty pageant a couple times. There was nothing beautiful about her anymore. She looked like a monster. Hissing, she came after him. Jalil scrambled inside the house. He slammed the door, locked it. His heart pounded so hard that he thought he might pass out. Where the hell did those dogs come from? And why were they so mean? It was like they are a rabbit or something. And the woman, shit, what was wrong with her? Poke was already inside. He sucked his thumb like a baby. We gotta help T-Bone, Jalil said. We've got guns in here. I'll find them. He started to run down the hallway. Poke's eyes glistened. He shook his head back and forth, his thumb stuck in his mouth. Get it together, man, Jalil said. He grabbed Poke's arms and shook him. You better not punk out on me. Get off me. Poke pushed Jalil away. Poke went to the door and peered out the square window. Too late, man, Poke said in a stifled sob. We're too late for T-Bone. What are you talking about? Jalil shoved him aside and looked. T-Bone's car was parked outside. But the dogs and the woman were gone. And so was T-Bone. Pearl had decided to pursue a dangerous endeavor. Since she had spoken to David Hunter, she had considered taking this step. Each day, the malevolent force had tightened its stranglehold on Mason's Corner. People had begun to disappear. Domesticated dogs had become like crazed beasts. Her own cats, evidently having a premonition of doom, had run away into the wilderness and had not returned. And Pearl understood that the worst was yet to come. That was why she had to take this risk. She had to do it for the welfare of the people. She was going to covertly immerse herself in the source of the evil that threatened the town. To learn its secrets. Outside in her backyard, under the silvery light of the moon, she sat on the cool grass. The fragrance of fresh roses scented the breeze. Folding her legs underneath her crisscross applesauce, she drew in a deep, invigorating breath. Her heart hammered. The danger of seeking a doorway into the mind of another, even furtively, was that the entity could detect the invasion, penetrate her consciousness too, also without her knowledge, and use her thoughts against her. She knew the potentially disastrous consequences. 
but she was prepared to sacrifice herself for doing so would save lives. To whom much is given, much is expected, her mother had taught her. She closed her eyes. She opened her hands and rested them on her knees, palms up. She cast her consciousness into the night as though her mind was a sieve, a vast net intending to capture only one thing, something out there cruising a psychic atmosphere like a cold, deadly shark. After several minutes of intense, silent concentration, she found it. Her lips parted, and she spoke one word in an anxious whisper. Tiala. That night, their army grew. Kyle, the female Valdue, and the hounds traveled throughout the city, recruiting, as Kyle had come to playfully consider their work. Kyle commanded the dogs and women to hunt together, apart from him. There was no chance that they would go astray. Diallo's life force ran deep in their souls. They could no more disobey him or his father than they could resist the urge to feed. Alone, Kyle recruited soldiers. Moving with the stealth of a spirit, he invaded houses, preying upon man and woman alike. He sucked each person's blood to the point of death, and then he withdrew as his father had taught him, confident that the vampire's bite would perform its powerful magic. By dawn, he was satiated, but his hunger will return soon. Their mission was just beginning. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that onto uh, Apple Podcasts, copy and paste that into Good Pods. Um, thank you for checking me out on Good Pods, I really do appreciate it. Um, you can give a donation to patreon.com slash single simulcast. Or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Or on the Good Pods app in the tip jar. And all the money will go towards buying books for Ratchet Book Club and movies for hindsight. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,